This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is presented to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And we want to give you some really good information about local real estate. That's how this show started 15 years ago. Um, There was really a need for bringing it local because we were getting all national news. This is during 2008, 2009, uh, when real estate was in the headlines. And we needed needed to know what's happening locally. In fact, uh, I was talking to a friend in the Bay Area and Fresno is so different than, than the Bay Area, um, even today. Here it is, 2023, and so different. Anyway, today we have a really good show because we are going to answer a lot of questions that we all have. I mean, how many times have we been faced with the question of, huh, I wonder if I can move my fence, or can my neighbor do that, or um, can I add a living quarter into the backyard um, so to help us with that today we have straight from fresno california shannon chafin good morning shannon good morning don and thank you very much for being here uh, shannon is an attorney and equity partner in the central valley office of alishire and winder and you have uh, in fact you used to work for the fresno city attorney's office too right yes just for a decade or so Oh, okay. A short visit. A short visit, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and I guess your specialty is land use. Yes. And with that, and that's going to fit right into city planning, zoning, easements, CCNRs, census tracts, HOA. I mean, we're going to hit it all. Yes, it'll be absolutely fun. Ah, I think so. And I've known you and your son for a while. Your son's here, too. He's... He's your backup in case I ask you a tough question and you can't answer it. You can always turn to your son and say, what's that answer? Alistair's got my back. I know he does. All right, Alistair. We're going to hear from him later, too. Um, This show is particularly interesting to me because I got back from a trip to um, Spain and Portugal. And, oh, my gosh, I don't think they had city planning back in the 1500s. in driving through some of those streets in the inner city, oh my, it, it, it was difficult. So I'm going to start off with the question of what is city planning and why is it necessary or not necessary? Well, you know, that's a very good question because most people don't think, how is my city or how is my community actually planned? Because As we drive down the streets, as we go places, we have come, at least in the United States, to expect certain things. So if I'm driving down the highway, I would expect to have a gas station close by, and I would expect to have a hotel when it gets dark, rather than having to go into a residential neighborhood. At the same time, we would expect that we wouldn't have what we call incompatible uses. For example, uh, I would not want my house next to a wastewater treatment plant that would not be a very good use to have together. Mm -hmm. So planning is basically the way of setting it up so that you put the right sorts of of uses next to each other and that you transition from one use to another. So for homes, for example, 
we want them next to other types of homes than usually next to commercials like schools or shops or grocery stores so that we can go out and shop and it'll be easy. And I'm going to throw in something too when you say we want to have homes there. It's not, it's we would, I would define we as the general public. Yes. I mean, yeah. So when you, you live in a, in a residential neighborhood, you, you do want that other homes by you. Uh, it, it, so it's not the city planners that want that. City planners are just providing for the, what the public wants. That's exactly right. And really, city planning is trying to get what the public wants and a reflection of that. And the other thing they're trying to do is address public health, safety, and welfare. In other words, it's probably not a good idea to put the daycare center or the school next to the dynamite factory or the fireworks factory, even though they may want that. But each community has its own values, and that's the great thing about the communities is we kind of have a choice as to what we want our communities and cities to look like. Okay, excellent. How far in advance does this planning take place? Well, very far in advance. In fact, there's something that the state, the state requires everybody to do what's called a general plan because you're supposed to generally plan for stuff. I always thought that was a very clever name, you know, the general plan because you're supposed to generally plan for that. I would have come up with a, a cooler name, but, you know, it's the state. So this general plan sometimes are uh, 30 or 40 years in advance of planning. And the reason for that is, say, you need more residential. There's more housing that wants to be there. Well, you're going to need wastewater treatment plants, sewer, water, streets, easements, and everything in order to support these particular communities. And then, you know, things can vary. Um, right now, the state is really requiring a lot more housing and housing opportunities, and that's taking different forms. So sometimes our local communities are constrained as to what they can and can't do, um, depending on state laws. So. A lot of the local public agencies and, and indeed home, home buyers are directly affected by what's going on in Sacramento. Yeah, in fact, is there a shift where it used to be that the local communities designed their cities, now it's more and more from Sacramento? Oh, you, you're absolutely correct. And I wouldn't call it a shift as more like an avalanche. <laughs> it's it's seismic and it's it's the ripples are being felt uh, up and down and throughout the states and down to the individual neighborhoods and in fact for example these single-family neighborhoods that you would normally have with you know a six or seven thousand square foot lot with a single family home on them um, state law is now saying you can just subdivide them and put uh, duplexes on the other half of it and jam it in there and there's very little cities can do about that so mm. it's, uh, there's been a lot of recent legislation in order to try to put in more housing, and it's taken away a lot of local control. When, when did that go in effect? Um, that's uh, SB 8, 9, and 10 were just recently adopted. Sorry to get down to the Senate bills. Uh -huh. But I believe that went into effect January 1st of last year, or maybe it was this year. I'm sorry, I can't recall. After COVID, everything kind of blends together. Yeah. And after doing this a couple decades, things start to blend together as well. Okay. And so um, what you're saying is you can take a standard single-family residential lot with a house on it and build a sec. You can actually subdivide it and make it into two different parcels? You can parcelize it, yeah. That makes it into two separate lots, so you could sell one and live in the other. Mm -hmm. So how about just building a second unit on, the, uh, on there? Yes, there are what they call... 
uh, accessory dwelling units, ADUs, or what they call junior accessory dwelling units. Juniors are usually attached to the house and don't have a kitchen, for example. But you can put ADUs, you can put junior ADUs on them. Um, there are, again, there's limitations, and there have to be very strict limitations. Um, uh, what I say strict, I mean the cities don't have very much restraints on them. Uh, you have, like the fire code, for example, is about the only reason you can say no. Or if the sewer pipes are so small they can't take the additional loading, that's the, basically the only reason you can say no. What about parking? D uh, d does that factor into it? State doesn't care if you have bad parking in your front yard. Mm. So that puts, the again, these local communities in a situation where you could have so much parking. People are going to be parking in front of your house, which is a public street, but most people, at least me, for example, when somebody parks at my house, I'm always looking out the window wondering who is this, are they going to be coming in? And, you know, of course they're entitled to park in front of your house, but I guess we as individuals have this feeling that what's in front of our house is also ours as well for parking or, you know, guest parking or whatever the case mm -hmm. is. But as the concern is, is as more of these uh, houses or duplexes or condos come in next to your single family residential house, that it's not a good mix for that particular neighborhood. So a while back, during most of my career, we had uh, zoning that said R1, R2, R3, and that kind of R1 meant residential, one unit per lot. Um, and there were restrictions there saying it had to be 6,000 square feet minimum size. Then you could go to an R2, which would allow for a, a duplex. Uh, and depending on the size, maybe even a triplex, the size of the lot. Um, but it sounds like that's been obliterated. It's been, it's been thrown up in the air. Let's put it that way. So usually when you say R1 for zoning, that means residential one, residential two, residential three, residential four. So residential four, generally apartments. So you go from the apartment you know, range down to R1, which are generally the single family homes as you talked about. And ideally, you'd like to have single family homes in one area, then transition to more dense residential, like you know, maybe some condos or duplexes or something, before you go to apartments, and then usually apartments are next, immediately adjacent to some sort of commercial, like shop shopping or schools or something. Usually you don't intermingle everything, at least under good planning principles. However, under the new regulations that are coming down, a lot of those old rules that the communities could set for themselves now have to be changed. And I'm going to say this, and I know that those uh, that's coming from our legislators in Sacramento, um, not so much from city planners, but in talking to clients, I, I can't tell you how many times I've shown a home that's really nice and somebody said, nah, it, it, we would take it except that there's apartments behind us or there's commercial behind us, or uh, the 7-Eleven. <laughs> so, so I think, uh, I hate to see that R1, R2, R3 get, get um, mixed together so much. So. Um, yes, but you know, I don't wanna be all one-sided on this, just to be fair. Yeah. I think what the state is really trying to do is recognize that at least statewide, we have a housing shortage, and California as a whole has somewhat of a, well, I shouldn't say a housing shortage. We, there's, the demand is such that it's causing prices to go up in some areas, such that not everybody can live in houses in those areas. 
However, my personal feeling is, is it's probably not good to adopt a one-size-fits-all approach, especially for communities such as Fresno or Bakersfield or Stockton or other areas where they have different markets that are not necessarily San Francisco or San Diego or Los Angeles. So it's almost like we're trying to, they're trying to form a one-size-fits-all in a very diverse state like California because we've, got, we've still got a lot of land. Now, we have to have wise planning, I'm sure, but uh, certainly different than going to San Francisco. Yes, so. a completely different uh, feel about what, how design and how development is done. Yeah. When we get back from our first commercial break, I want to get more into zoning and what goes into the, the planning process to come up with that zoning. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. Here's the host, Don Scordino, and my father. Shannon Chafin. All right. And thank you, Alistair Chafin. Um, how old are you now? Um, I'm 13 years old, and I'm in seventh grade. Wow. All right. I understand you just got an award. You ranked first in all of Fresno County in the science fair? Uh, yes. Yeah, so in my category um, for my grade in seventh grade, I ranked first um, for my science fair project. All right, excellent. And um, your dad's kind of proud of that. He told me about that. <laughs> so I take it science is your favorite subject? Uh, yes, it is. Um, my teacher, Mrs. Yasui, has always been quick to help me, and she takes a f um, fun and hands-on approach to everything. Um, and she really helped me uh, propel my project along and helped a big chunk of the middle school um, be able to place in science fair. What was your project? Um, my project um, was about artificial intelligence. It was seeing if people could tell the difference between human-generated art and artificially-generated art. Wow. Um, artificial intelligence is uh, really coming into the real estate industry, too. There, there's a new thing that will write our marketing remarks for us. And I'm still thinking, well, wait a minute. How about me walking through the house and seeing what's nice? But... Uh, who knows? And, and, hey, maybe someday you'll create the whole thing that helps our real estate industry. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, going back to your dad now, got a question or two for you. Um, how, um, first of all, a little background on you. You, you're, you work for an attorney, uh, attorney's office that helps other cities. What, which cities around here do you help out? Oh my goodness, yes. So <clears throat> my firm actually is, we have five or six offices up and down the state. And the way that we're set up is we actually take our specialists from various areas to work on the specialized problems of each area. So if you are good at oil and gas, for example, which you would actually affects people because you, some people don't want an oil well in their backyard, right? Um, Unless you, would, you live in Bakersfield. <laughs> or Signal Hill or, you know, Kern County has different rules down there. So we go up and down the state. I've done everything from up to uh, Tahoe to down by the Signal Hill, Long Beach areas as well. Uh, uh, currently, I'm helping represent everybody as far north as Yuba City, which is north of Sacramento, to more locally here, Madera, Sanger, um, uh, the, um, I'm trying to think of the local city of Fresno. I've helped with Kerman. There's a bunch of other cities here more locally I, I'm currently involved with and helping advise them either as their city attorney or assistant city attorney. 
So let's say the city of Kerman, because so, I, I love that little town. It's a great city. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it, what's happening there that you're assisting in? Well, it's being a city attorney is you're really helping them um, with any legal issues that come up as a city. And the one thing that I really like to help Kerman with is development. There have been developments that are coming in where developers want to come in and put in housing and commercial units and buildings and shops, and Kerman could really use it. And so, for example, Kerman right now, they had a Walmart that came in a few years ago, and now right next to that Walmart just south of White's Bridge, they have um, almost 100 units of residential that are being built in there, and they're also having commercial, and they've been going on for the last couple of years, but we help with that process. Okay. Um, that sounds like decent land use, having large commercial and then apartments next to it because um, you don't need a lot of parking. Uh, uh, those uh, people that live in the high-density apartments can walk to uh, groceries. Yes, and in this particular case, the commercial is lo located along the highway, which makes sense, right? You, your big yeah. roads. And then behind that is where you have your single family homes and your other sort of residential units kind of in the back end of the, of the further in, so you access them differently. So there's, I don't know if you've looked at a map, but in many cities they have these big sort of grid-like road systems that are about a half mile each on each side. So in that particular case, the, the southern half of that big grid is now residential and the northern half is commercial. So everybody, if they wanted to, would walk. They have trails and easements so that they can get back and forth. They can bike back and forth. And my favorite, because as you can tell from me, I still need to lose a little bit of weight, is to drive. <laughs> but uh, all of that is set up so that they can develop that way. And it's a good community, and it's a, a community that works for generations. Yeah, and I think that's what I love about Kerman is as you drive through there, as you walk through there, it's you get that feeling of uh, Mayberry. You, you know, it's kind of like a, a quaint little city, but yet it's really growing. It's growing very rapidly, and there's a lot of interest by uh, developers and even smaller developers. What I say smaller is, you know, four or five, six lots at a time, and even individuals who want to just develop their homes on the vacant lots that they have. Mm -hmm. um, there seems to be a, a push to have higher density, meaning more units per acre. So um, more of the planned unit developments, the small lots. Uh, and I take it that's because we just uh, need more housing units. Yes, in fact, a lot of people don't know this, but we actually have, when I say we, I mean the counties, the cities, and everything else, have rules about how many housing units we must have available for development. So when we talk about zoning and planning, there's something called the Regional Housing Needs Assessment, this RENA sort of thing. And they always come up with these weird acronyms, and RENA is that. And it basically says each city, each county, each area has to be provide enough land to meet a certain amount of housing per the rules set by the state. So they have to be zoned for housing, they have to be planned for housing, and they have to be reserved basically for housing. So as you know, cities don't build houses businesses and people build houses. So it's a, a component of that project is making sure that there's enough housing for the community. Okay, and, and you are right about that. It, you can't just say, hey, Fresno has to go out and build more houses, because, but the city planners have to, excuse the pun, but pave the way for private developers 
to do it. Yes, and what private developers are also constrained is, and I used to represent several um, local developers here before I, I went into full-time doing public agency work, and they have market constraints. So, for example, if you want a big lot, it's going to be more expensive, which means that there's a lot of people who won't be able to afford it. And then there's also restrictions that if you have a certain number of big lots, that means under your arena numbers, they have to jam in more dense housing for the rest of them. So there's, these developers are kind of caught in a situation where they're trying to balance having those people who want single family homes with a certain amount of space against more dense development per state laws and requirements and everything else, and also keeping the price of the market reasonable so that these houses can be sold and be bought and purchased and then resold as time goes on. They don't get too high. That's the real balancing act uh, for a developer it is how do you provide everything that the consumer wants and will purchase and yet keep it affordable? Yeah, and the state has been pushing for let's do a more affordable housing, which is fantastic. The problem is, is the state on the same time is also adding expenses to go with it. For example, new housing construction is now required to have solar. And while that may be a good or bad idea, I'm not saying one way or another, requiring them to say, hey, we want cheaper housing, but you need to put on more expensive stuff, um, does raise the home price. Yeah. And so it puts developers in a situation where they're, again, trying to work through these, um, these requirements and regulations to make sure that they comply with state and other requirements while still being able to provide a product to the um, consumer. And it's not just solar, I believe there's also fire sprinklers and a, a lot of good ideas, but they cost money and go against the providing affordable housing. Yes, so that balance. And, and ultimately between you and me, Don, uh, it's really the market because if you are, for example, in Santa Monica, property is gonna be more valuable along the beach because as Will Rogers used to say, they're not making anymore, right? Yeah, right. Whereas if you're going into a different part where you're next to an agricultural use, um, there's open fields, it's a little bit easier to develop. And you made me think too, it's also um, new regulation says you have to do this, you have to do that, keep the price affordable. But somewhere in there, they've got to figure out well, what does the consumer want too? Maybe the consumer wants granite countertops, uh, maybe the, you know, or open spacious, spacious kitchen. That's all great, but it, it also adds to the cost, so. Well, and then the other thing is the stuff that most people do, don't think about. For example, we have a more aging population. I can, as much as I sound very young and like I'm in my 20s, or at least I can imagine that. I thought you were. Oh, thank you, Don. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually at that point in my life when I drop something on the floor, I start looking around and thinking about how important it is, right? So, <laughs> and, and that is sometimes what gets lost in the mix as people are trying to make housing available. And because, for example, if you get older, you don't necessarily want to cl start climbing up and down stairs which means that if your living space is going to be more single story, you probably are not going to have second stories. Well, if we're gonna be jamming in density, having more people per acre, that means that by definition, you're going to have to go up. Yeah. And so that creates sometimes a problem, balancing the needs of the consumer and the people who wanna buy these homes with what's being required for just the amount of density and the type of home product that the state is saying, hey, we're encouraging you to do this. 
and once again to go into my realtor mode and tell you give you some comments from many many home buyers who look at that single story home because uh, that's what they require because of their age or or whatever so they want a single story home but we go in the backyard and looking down on you you're surrounded by two-story homes the consumer doesn't like that so much yeah uh, you know they they, they always say good uh, fences make good neighbors well good interactions you usually don't want the second story people looking down on your first story bedroom window is, is the way i always looked at it too so privacy is something that's always been important at least to americans in that regard mm-hmm well, when we get back from our next commercial break, we're going to jump into easements and how come I can't move my fence and questions like that. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Looking back, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm proud of the house we built. It's stronger than sticks, stones, and steel. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. Here's the host, Don Scordino, and my father, Shannon Shaffin. All right. Thank you, Alistair. Um, you ever, I know you're big on science, but you may want to consider being a talk show host. I, you got it. You, you got that calm demeanor about you. Well, thank you. That is always an option, but I do really like um, science. And when I grow up, I really do hope to get in the field of electronics, programming, or even AI, artificial intelligence in the future. All right, excellent. Um, just, you know, be careful getting into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> it can be quite a ride, I imagine. <laughs> oh yes, it can. Um, all right, so we have the opportunity to have a, an attorney here that it, we're talking zoning, uh, city planning. Now I wanna turn it to easements. What is an easement? Well, an easement is, um, they have the technical definition of easement, which never made sense to me. Let me give you what, I, what makes sense to me, and that is somebody else has property, an easement allows you a limited use of their property. So, and if there's an easement on your property, that means somebody else has a limited use of right on your property. So an easement can vary as to what they mean and how they are. So I think the most typical one would be a public utilities easement. So if there's electrical wire and telephone wire running overhead uh, across your property, uh, that means that Pacific Gas and Electric doesn't own, you, own that piece, but they have a right to go in there and service their equipment. Yes. So that's the interesting thing about easements is people sometimes think that because just because it, there is an easement, they can do whatever they want to somebody else's property. But the reality is, is easements are limited use. So PG&E can't come to your backyard and build a shed, a PG&E shed in your backyard just because they have a PG&E easement. But there are a lot of different types of easements. And my suggestion is, is as you know, Don, do your due diligence, do your research mm -hmm. before you purchase a piece of property as to what easements are there, because I've seen some really weird ones. Yeah, and here's a common one that I think people would run into. They go, wow, I, nice backyard. Uh, I'll keep a grassy area here, and I'm gonna build a swimming pool over here. Oh yes, the swimming pool. <laughs> you know, so what happens there? Why, why is this a, a problem well, with easements? First of all, everybody loves a swimming pool. Who doesn't love a swimming pool, right? 
But who doesn't love a swimming pool is PG&E trying to walk across water to get to their power lines. Yeah. That may not be a good idea. <laughs> so sometimes these swimming pools go into these easements in the backyard. So it means one of two things. Either you've got to make a, swim, a smaller pool, move it out of the easement that's in your backyard, and you can't build things there, or you can get permission from the easement holder to build there. So if PG&E is fine with it, everybody who has utilities is fine with it, your local city or county is fine with it, after you get all the approvals, they may allow you to build what they call at risk, which means if one day they have to come through and do a bunch of construction, they remove that may remove your swimming pool, they may remove your shed in order to get to their easement. Ah, okay. And I think it, what is very typical is, let's say on a 60 by 100 foot lot, uh, um, that usually a public utility easement is on the back eight feet uh, on both properties. So that gives them 16 feet of easement. So you can't build the swimming pool too close to the property line. Um, you mentioned sheds. I see a lot of that where people put up sheds in the easements. Yes. So. Well, and you know what, uh, PG&E and these other utilities usually try to be very flexible, uh, from, at least from my experience with it. However, at some point, if you have an underground water line or a gas line or other connection that is in your backyard for an easement, those may need to be repaired. And if they're gonna need to be repaired, the rule is, is if you've built your shed on somebody else's easement, they're entitled to remove that shed to repair their line so they can continue providing water, gas, fiber optic, or other services. So what are your typical public easements? I, I mentioned power lines. Well, we've, there are easements that we've used every day. For example, if you've driven down a street, used a sidewalk, um, watered and your water went into the drain or the flood water off your, not your flood water, the rain water off your house went into the, uh, the drain, uh, there's sewer, there's um, all sorts of even drinking water. All those are easements, even trees. So a lot of cities have trees that grow up because there are, there's a city easement there that allows them to put a sidewalk on your property and a tree and a road and a gutter. Okay, so now you're hitting on the big question that comes up all the time. You've got a, the street, the curb, the gutter, a little strip of grass about three feet, and there's a, a tree there, then a sidewalk, and then your yard. Who owns the sidewalk? Who owns the, and who owns that little strip of grass in the curb and gutter? And I'm going to give you the typical city response or the attorney response. And oh, that is, I know what's <clears> coming. <laughs> it depends, <laughs> <laughs> and it depends on a bunch of things. But um, for example, whether the city owns an easement or they actually own what's called a fee interest, they actually own the street. They're the owners of the street. But in most cases, the cities have an easement across your property. So technically, the property owner owns the land underneath the sidewalk, the trees, and up to the very center of the street. However, because of the easement, they can't interfere. You can't go up and rip up the street in your front yard or take out the sidewalk or anything else. Additionally, trees are a really big challenge. If it's a what they call a private or homeowner tree, you're responsible for that tree. If it's a public tree because it was planted in there and it's probably a public tree system, it depends on the local ordinances. So some ordinances require the homeowners to take care of the tree. You can't remove them without city permission, but you have to take care of them. Other situations are you can't hurt or harm the tree and you still need to mow that little park strip in between the sidewalk and everything, but you are responsible for letting the city know if the tree needs to be trimmed or the city will come in and trim it or the county. 
And then in other circumstances, the same thing with the sidewalk. You could be responsible as the homeowner for the sidewalk that was put in for your home uh, when it was originally sold. And that's a good question because um, so many sidewalks have cracks or uh, areas where they're lifting up and they're a tripping hazard. Yes. It probably belongs to the city, but what, what should a homeowner do? If you've got a rise in your sidewalk, first of all, take care. Do not trip over the sidewalk in your front yard. I, it surprises me how many claims I've seen for people tripping over their sidewalk in the front yard because they forgot there's a lift. If you see something over, say, a half an inch or three quarters of an inch, you can report it, if you live in a city, to the city. And they have a list. And they maintain the list as to repairs. And so they go around and they repair sidewalks in certain areas. And if it's like a huge lift, like a four-inch lift, they will usually come in, remove that sidewalk, remove the roots that are uplifting it, put it back down, and then fix it. It's usually at no cost to the homeowner. However, if it's a private tree that did it, they may be looking at the private tree that caused the lift and said, hey, your roots have ruined our city sidewalk. You need to do something. So how do you know if it's a private tree or a city tree? I always say magic. You just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the general rule of thumb is, is if it's between the sidewalk and the street, it's usually a city tree. I guess you could always call the city and report it and see what they say. Absolutely. And the city should be able to tell you. So most cities now have their codes online. So if you look up the, I don't know, city of Oildale municipal code, it'll note and type in the word trees. It'll tell you who owns the trees or who may be responsible for those trees. All right. Who would have thought that the city of Oildale would be on the cutting edge of communications and technology? <laughs> Yes, that, that's to all my good friends that live there in Oildale, which I honestly do have some. And my my uh, great uncle used to live there, a fine man, and uh, he passed away a few years ago. But I used to swing by Oildale, so all that's right. one of the reasons I brought them up when I'd go down and uh, visit Bakersfield. All right. So easements are generally for public good. Um, it, it's like you wouldn't not want to have that easement because then you may not have electricity to your home, or you may not have water. Little things, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but those are public easements. There's also something called private easements. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, the, the private easements, uh, again, it's the standard answer. It depends. Right. So private easements are when <clears throat> two different property owners or three different property owners get together and they say, well, let's decide how we're going to use the property between us. So if my neighbor is like, uh, there's certain areas of the county where you don't have direct access for the road, you may have an easement across someone else's property to the lot in the back. What that means is if you're the lot in the front, you can't put a fence up and block those people from driving down to their house. So if you're purchasing the home, look at what the easements say and who's there. Some easements are for view. So some people will sometimes um, build or a house or have a house next to an empty lot and then their neighbor wants to build a house on that lot and they're like, well, it's gonna review my, you know, it's gonna ruin my views. Well. Unless you have an easement for a view, they're entitled to use their property and to build a house there because mm -hmm. you're not the one that's paying property taxes on their house. And easements, in fact, can be interesting because there's a case in San Francisco. Sorry, I'm going to go all wonky on you here, okay. Don, just because I love these sorts of things, where there was a private street not owned by the city and county of San Francisco. And the homeowners association there forgot to pay their taxes. And as a result, you know what happens on private streets, the private property, if you don't pay your taxes, the tax assessor doesn't like that, and they auction off these properties. 
and some couple bought the street for something like $100,000. And then they said, this is our private street. We're going to charge you for use of this street in order to get to your homes. Mm. So always be cautious if you see a private street, for example, or private street easements or these other sorts of things of how to get to your property as to what you can and cannot do. I actually sold uh, an easement one time. There were two large parcels of land that a developer wanted to uh, put apartments on. But there was an old canal that went right through the middle of it. And and it had been sold at a tax sale. So, and at the time I thought, man, this guy only paid $500 for that whole thing. And now he wanted $15,000. I felt like that's not fair. But you know what? $15,000 was nothing to that whole plan. So yeah, that's where an easement really affects land. Well, um, speaking of canals, um, <clears throat> we have a lot of canals. We're in an agricultural area here in the valley, and even though we've built cities over the top of them, a lot of these canals run right through the middle of our cities, and some of them are covered. And so certain irrigation districts have covered them in concrete. Sometimes people want to build on top of them. So most cities say, listen, you can't put your house there, but sometimes a detached garage or other structure may be on top of these if they've got the rights of the easement holders to do that. So there's, I know of one house where there, there was a garage sitting on a covered canal and um, basically they, when they came in to repair it, they could destroy their garage. So at any time, those people could lose their garage. So here's a tough question. Probably not for you. <laughs> so if somebody buys some land up in the foothills and it's landlocked, there's no road servicing that land. Does that landlocked property owner have a right to an easement through someone? Can they go to their adjacent property owner and say, hey, you gotta give me a, an easement? Yes, and the reason for that is, the, as a policy, we don't want property that's unused. We want property that's taken care of and responsible, and when people can access their property, they can take care of it. So there's a principle in law that, yes, you're entitled to at least some sort of access to your property. Usually, however, your property is surrounded on by multiple sides, by multiple owners, and as a practical matter, everybody's pointing their finger at someone else saying, well, hey, uh, you don't get an easement over my property. It needs to be somebody else's property. So sometimes it results in litigation, but the better practice is just go to your neighbor, bring them some cookies, be nice to them, get an easement. You're talking communication? Oh, absolutely. It's (laughs) a lot less expensive than attorneys. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, we're going to our next commercial break, but when we get back, we're going to be talking census tracts, garage conversions, ADUs, and anything else I can throw out, out there at our guest. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio. Let's get back to Welcome Home Radio with Don Scordino and Shannon Chaffin. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, We have a future talk show host in the making here. Good job, Alistair. And um, all right. So we had talked, we've been talking about zoning, city planning, and uh, easements. But there's a big thing out there that restricts what we can and can't do with our, our properties. And that's called CCNRs. We've heard of those. So what are CCNRs? What's that stand for? And how are they good? How are they bad? 
Well, CCNRs stand for Covenants, Codes, and Restrictions. So basically, it's an agreement between all the property owners to have certain restrictions on the property and certain uses on the property. So the bad news is, is if you live in a community with CCNRs, you have to comply with the CCNRs. The good news is, is if you live in that community, so does your neighbor. <laughs> all right. And I can see that. And typically, what are the typical things that get restricted in, a, in CCNRs? Well, they can vary depending on the community. Some examples include uh, pets and animals. Some places don't want large pets or only dogs or no pets and animals. Flags, including the American flag. So if you're a veteran and like to fly those, please read your CCNRs before you go in. Uh, parking of RV votes, trailers, requirements to keep your car in a garage, which means you can't convert it to a home office. Um, maybe prohibiting fencing around certain yards or certain heights, structures, how you put up your holiday decoration, whether you have pools, whether you can have pools, um, they can vary. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of different ones. So if you have CCNRs, read them. Although I will say that a typical thing in CCNRs too is the building size. So in a subdivision, um, that developer might say the minimum lot size is 2,000 square feet. And I think that's to prevent a subdivision of very large homes all of a sudden have an 800 square foot home next to them. Um, and then they also have an architectural committee. Ah, uh, yes, many do. All right, I, that touched <clears throat> you off. So tell, tell us about the architectural committee. Well, sometimes um, it's depending on your CCNRs, most of them are private. The developer who goes in as the one who sets them up. And developers have a particular theme or uh, schematic that they would like. You don't want usually a colonial next to Mediterranean next to ranch style, right? So most neighborhoods have a theme and they want to maintain that theme, certain colors, certain roof types. And to do that, they appoint an architectural committee. And so before you can build many things or repaint your house or put on a shed or do these other sorts of things, you often have to get permission from the architectural committee and possibly your homeowners association as to whether or not you can do it. And I can tell you from a bunch of cases I've seen, it is better not to do it first and then ask permission. It is better to ask permission first. Mm -hmm. I did that. The house we bought, um, I noticed, I recognized the name on there, uh, on the architectural committee and <laughs> an old friend. Uh, I said, Joe, is that really you on the, on the architectural committee? He goes, yep, that's me. I go, you mean I gotta ask you permission to do something with my house? He said, I'm not gonna tell you to do anything, just don't paint it Dodger blue. <laughs> he was a Giants fan and uh, he wasn't gonna put up with that. He, he would've got, made me change it. Yes, and they can. So mm -hmm. just keep that in mind if you are going into a, buying a home, look at your CCNRs if you have any. Mine, for example, prohibit satellite dishes uh, over a diameter of six feet on my front yard. These were drafted in the 1980s. Obviously, we don't have satellite dishes eight feet in diameter or six feet in diameter anymore. Yeah. So who creates these CCNRs? Usually it's the developers. Sometimes they're required by the city or county, depending on, on what's going on. But usually the developers, and you typically see them more with uh, community facilities. So if you have a community swimming pool, a community park, or any sorts of these other things, you can see them. Um, there, or if you live in like uh, most uh, what they call aviation communities with an airport attached to them, often there will be CCNRs that regulate that you can drive your airplane down the road of these private streets, and that you have to pay um, money for these private streets. 
So how does CCNRs and zoning blend together? Sometimes they don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that it is is usually uh, zoning says, hey, you can have residential type uses here, and then the CCNRs further define it. And when I say zoning, I mean the zoning ordinance and the safety codes and stuff. So for example, certain streets need to be so wide in order for fire trucks and garbage trucks and a few other minor things to get into the community. So if you put trash cans in the way or park there, there's often not enough room for the fire truck to get in. So your CCNRs may be required that you can only park on one side of the street. So who enforces zoning and who enforces CCNRs? Well, CCNRs are typically enforced by your neighbors, the homeowners association. So they're much more likely to know if you've done something right or wrong or what they believe is right or wrong. Zoning is enforced at the city and county level. So before any development can come in, you come in, you enforce it, uh, they say, hey, I want to develop X, and then the, the city or county reviews it and says, yep, you can or you can or you need to modify it. Where that didn't occur was in the Ghost Fire in San Francisco, or Oakland, I should say, where it was an industrial zone, but they put in uh, artist housing and they were holding a concert. 36 people died because it was not zoned or done for um, residential or entertainment. So mm -hmm. it was in legal zoning. And I want to give a tip to everybody too. Communication is still the key. So when you said it, uh, CCNRs are typically enforced by your neighbors, so I wanted to put a basketball hoop up one time, a, a permanent one in the ground. Um, and I knew that it was against the CCNRs. Um, I went and talked to my neighbor and I said, hey, do you mind if I put this up? It's for my kid. He goes, of course not. He goes, just let him win once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good rule. If I could offer some advice to our listeners is if you want good neighbors, be a good neighbor. Hmm. All right, that is. And um, with that, I wanna also ask you, what do you want our listeners to remember most about today's show? Well, if I could offer another piece of advice is if you are buying or selling property, get a professional, get someone who knows what they're doing. Okay. And part of that um, is when you get your title report during the escrow period, don't just say, oh, here's 12 more pages to read. Look read. it over and understand it because that is what you can, can't do with your property it's it's also are there any liens you're taking on but uh, for today's show we're talking about rights uh, codes covenants and restrictions yes so. so do your due diligence do your research read the papers note that if there's solar panels on top you may have a solar easement or other sorts of things but make sure you read the documents you're given your realtor will usually step you through that and you will get a big stack of documents read them okay got a quick question because uh off topic, well, it's not off topic, but what is a census tract? A census tract is uh, an area where people, it's done for the purposes of counting how many people you have in the area. So certain census tracts can have certain amount of services of alcohol, for example. You can only have so many alcohol licenses within a census tract. So they're just arbitrary divisions that are usually set up by the state or federal government um, to measure how many people are there. So it's kind of like, um that can also restrict land use, but uh, but at a different level. Yeah, usually it's on the commercial restrictions where you see that, usually with alcohol licenses and the type of stores that are involved in restaurants that sell alcohol. Mm -hmm. Would you say most people know what census tract they live in? I do land use, and I've done it for almost a quarter century. I have no idea what census tract I live in. 
57.03. Really? I, I, <laughs> I have no idea. Well, you said you didn't know, so I just made oh, well, that, that up. Sounds like sounds like a good number. Why not? <laughs> why not go with that one? <laughs> That's right. Well, I want to thank you, Shannon, for uh, helping us out today. Most of all, thank Alistair for the great introductions and keeping us going. And um, want to thank our listeners for tuning in to Welcome Home Radio. We'll be back again next week. Take care. <laughs>